The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming and computer hardware podcast, or whatever the heck we're calling it this episode. We already <laughs> screwed up uh, recording it and had to start over. So we're just going to keep this one, Dan. We're keeping that. Today, that's what that is. That's what, what the podcast is this week. How, how would you describe this podcast, Dan? Like if In like a phrase, what, what type of podcast would you say it is? Uh, these episodes, a like news, I guess a news recap of tech shit over the past uh, two Dan, weeks. Dan, welcome to Broken Silicon, a recap a tech of tech shit, shit podcast. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the one I said. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, how are you doing, Dan? Your adorable dog's behind you as usual, staring at you. Uh, I'm pretty good. Um, getting getting ready to move out of the, the current city I'm in, so that's fun. Yeah, we were supposed to, um, me and our, our dad were supposed to fly out to Boston and help <laughs> my brother move. And uh, I mean, uh, things are closing back down again. There are certain states that aren't on the, you know, that are on like a blacklist for uh, coming into the state. And my mom just asked, who's like booking everything, like, do you think it would make more sense to hire movers to help Dan move instead of flying? I'm like, wait, what? We were considering what makes sense. Yeah, even not during a pandemic, we should just have movers help Dan and not fly across the country to have an old man and his brother help him pack everything up. I can assure you the movers are cheaper, Mom, no matter what time it is. Let's get into some of these reader mails. Carbon Cry writes in and he says, how many fish did Dan have to kill uh, on that less die shrink that he had to leave the lab at 9 p.m. and miss the recording? I hope he's not getting soft and his fish killing per minute isn't going down as a result, to which B.S. Steiner uh, uh, continues and says, to elaborate on carbon cry, I would like to know the FKM, which is, of course, an abbreviation of fish killed per minute, for the day before Dan joins the podcast or earlier that day, if it's in the evening, if not divulge, I don't know if Dan is still okay. Um, I mean, if we're be if we're looking at peak efficiency, like when I'm actively killing fish, it's probably about three per minute. I don't know three if that's fish impressive per minute. or unimpressive. Okay. But um, how many fish did you? And so, for people who don't know, especially if you're not like subscribed to Patreon, we just did a mailbag because of you know all of the recent leaks and the news coming out. It, I pushed back the Halo die shrink and the uh, early LCD era die shrink to just answer more questions, more console questions. As I really, really wanted to get all the console <laughs> questions out of the way in the recent loose ends and die shrinks, so that we can have one episode that isn't heavily console focused, which is what we're trying to do with this one. And uh, I mean, yeah, you weren't able to join the last die shrink episode. I think it went pretty well, though. Um, I mean, how many fish did you kill that day? Was it? Was the bloodlust enough to make it make sense for you not joining the die shrink episode? 
I mean, I don't remember if I actually did kill any that day. Uh, Sorry to report. I don't know if that's good news or bad (sighs) news. Jesus Christ, Dan. But (laughs) I've been working very late every day for the past uh, like three weeks because I'm transitioning out of my role in the lab. And it's it's always really hard to do that, especially because I don't want to like leave the other people in the lab high and dry when I uh, when I'm gone. Yeah, you definitely seem to care. Maybe more than I do when I leave my jobs, if I'm being entirely honest. VI Pass writes in, and he says, what would it take for you to do more Flyover States podcasts? I didn't join your Patreon for these, to be clear, but I ended up really, really enjoying them, and I'm wanting more. I highly recommend people listen up if they are a Patreon member, and if not, come on, subscribe to Flyover States. Yeah, so another episode came out. I mean... There was one point in time where I was getting, I would say, one out a month. At this point, it's basically one a quarter. Uh, and it's, I don't even know how else to describe it. I, I don't want to compare myself to them, but I would say, you know, if you like, well, yeah, I'd say if you like um, fireside chats from Colin Moriarty or if you like Dan Carlin-ish stuff, it's kind of in the middle of that, interviewing people who do interesting, I don't, I don't know, just interesting subjects around the U.S. and sometimes around the world where we touch on politics. With, you know, I, I I don't want to use the condescending term real people, but you know, like <laughs> I'm not afraid to interview someone who's like a nurse in New York during the pandemic, who or I'm yeah. hoping to line up soon or like, you know, someone who the recent episode who left the United States to work in Sweden and wants to talk about their education system and immigration and the rising of like how VR is actually affecting the manufacturing right now. So really specific, complicated issues where we're not afraid to talk honestly, like what we think about what's going on in the world. And I mean, yeah, if you want to listen to that, I, I think they're good. I wouldn't put them out if they weren't, but it's just, you know, to answer VI pass question, what would it take for more flyer states? It's just, like if it comes down to banking more die shrinks ahead of time, lining up guests, working on the website, or making a new video, it's clearly, you know, I have to get the podcast out on time. So that's always number one. And then after that, it's whatever video I and sometimes the video supersedes it where I have to delay the podcast half a day, right? And then after yeah. that, it's, you know, God, can I we're me and Carbon Cry are working on renovating the website if I can get to that. And so it's like fourth or fifth place, really, that's Fiverr states. If anything pops up, which something always seems to, it's just delayed. And, you know, uh, the what I would say to VI Past is more people have subscribed to the Patreon, which I guess technically supports Flyover states, than listen to Flyover states episodes, even if I combine the YouTube and the RSS feeds. So it's like, look, until we get over a thousand YouTube subscribers, until I start seeing Flyover states episodes get a thousand listens. I mean, it's just never going to be a priority, but I, I want to keep doing them to change things up because I know fans appreciate them. But so I guess I'll put that out there. There'll be a link below in the description. You know, don't forget to subscribe. I don't know. It has to grow. And then I will upgrade the server for hosting more episodes. But until then, guys, subscribe to Flyover States and we'll see what happens. Uh, Linus Red writes in and says, considering how many people join the Discord and contribute on Patreon after each podcast live stream, would you consider opening up an OnlyFans account for more? And he puts this in a cheeky quotation marks. Tech news, upside down, smiley face, okay hand. No, (laughs) I don't know that I have. I mean, and, and you know, I try to, I specifically, people ask this every now and then, I specifically use Patreon because the people who haven't subscribed to the Patreon can't seem to get this. Patreon allows you to do this like tiered podcast rollout that 
a lot of other places, like, like, like the infrastructure we put into Patreon, I like, and like organizing episodes and timing early releases without ads. They actually have some pretty powerful features for that as broken as their mobile app is to be honest. (laughs) But, um, and there's a reason we use Patreon. And I mean, I looked into like, to, to actually answer his question. I mean, we had a Patreon for flyover states for a while and I've seen other tech tubers do two Patreons, one for like a website and one for, it's like, it's such a waste of time. If you want to support everything we're making, Go to the Moore's Laws Dead Patreon. You'll get Flyover States early and ad free. You'll get this, you know, Broken Silicon early and ad free. You'll get Die Shrink, Hits and Gems. You get everything else we work on there, you know. And um, in terms of other platforms, it's like you guys got to understand, like, we'll just be out of commission if we switch platforms. So that's just not going to happen. And I'm not going to do this thing where I have to manage 100 things. Because I, I mean, I'm just being honest. I think I put out more content than three tech tubers combined that don't have a staff of 30 people. <laughs> Like, am I wrong, Dan? No, I mean, your output's pretty damn high. <laughs> and it's like, and that's because I focus on what's working and I don't waste my time trying to be on 20 platforms. It's like YouTube videos, podcasts, Patreon for the exclusive stuff. And um, if you'd ask me to start going on 100 platforms, like, why don't you support Vimeo? You know, that's always a thing. Not to be ranting right now, but like when people complain about Patreon, it's like, I can't stop laughing because you're watching stuff on YouTube. and. You want to really compare free speech crap. Jesus yeah, Christ. I know. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> preposterous to say you should stay on YouTube and uh, not use Patreon. Preposterous. It just goes to show you. It's like, look, I don't know what agenda you have with whatever's going on, but please don't push it on me. We're on Patreon, YouTube, and every podcast app under the sun. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for OnlyFans, I will say, though, I don't think OnlyFans is explicitly just for making for uh, oh, okay. porn. So, I mean, it's kind of like Tinder, (laughs) like, you know, if you tell your parents you're on Tinder, they assume it's for hooking up. But if you actually look at the stats, like I think it said 60% of it isn't that 60% of the people who use Hmm. it, they found in a study don't use it for hooking up. It's either for, (laughs) frankly, a game (laughs) or they use it for actual dating. But it's like, yeah, but if I had an OnlyFans, that's what people would think. Well, that's what people would think. And that is pretty much what I'm sure it's almost exclusively used for. But that's not what it's exclusively advertised as. You could make an on- a tech OnlyFans, I think. Yeah, I don't think so. All right, (laughs) let us get to the reader corrections then. So yeah, that was the early banter stuff. So um, Carbon Cry writes in and he says, an analogy explanation for uh, console fanboyism. Xbox fans think PS5 will be worse than Xbox, than the XSX. PS fanboys think XSX will be worse than PlayStation, than the PS5. As you see, both are right. They just don't know. They're not arguing what's a better console. Actually, I don't know if I understand what he's saying. Do you, Dan? He's saying that they're both trying to do different things and people that are, like the idea of the PS5 will see, uh-huh. think of the Xbox Series X as lacking because it's less than what a, it's doing less than what a PS5 is for what you're interested in and vice versa, which I think... Which, like, yeah, he's, ideally yeah, like, that's how it should work. And I mean, if both consoles turn out well, hopefully that's how it does work. Like maybe maybe uh the xbox series x will be this platform that actually might be good for families like you get a good like you have one console that your kids and uh uh parents can both play uh under one subscription service and maybe the ps5 is for people that want 
I don't know, more specific, specific hardcore titles. gaming experiences. Yeah. And I mean, Sony would argue also to have the best, you know, extra like features, whether it's whatever's yeah. in their controller, VR, load times. They're trying to say, oh, we also have extra gaming features that isn't just in a normal console. Whereas ideally, Xbox should try to give you the best bang for your buck. And I would think, and I can't stop harping on this, have you run Windows because it is a Microsoft device. <laughs> but, um, and I think if they did that, it's its own thing, you know, which it's actually yeah. interesting you say that too, because I remember 10 years ago, I swear at this point, there was this study I read where it was kind of looking at what's considered a premium gaming device. And most people think of like high end gaming PCs as premium gaming devices. But what they found is that worldwide, really, PC is the default and that consoles are kind of a luxury device for upper middle class people at this point, which was an interesting argument. And they said, maybe that's not how people think of it. But if you look at the demographics, consoles are clearly a luxury electronic at this point. Yeah. And actually, this makes me does make me think maybe one of the problems with um, putting Microsoft on Windows is, I mean, Windows on a <laughs> Uh, Xbox would be uh, do you think there's any chance that like the uh, uh, manufacturers like AMD, NVIDIA, mm. and Intel would have would be less likely to grant contract large contracts to them because they're cannibalizing their own graphics market like you mean literally if you know and we can get into the weeds about exactly how powerful the Xbox Series X is but I think it's easy to say it's around a 2080 Ti in my opinion I mean for Christ's yeah. sakes guys it has at the very least, it has clock speeds similar to a 5700 XT while having like 40% more compute units and bandwidth comparable to, I mean, more than a more than a 2080. So at the very least, it's in between a 2080 Ti and a 2080. I, I, I still maintain it's, it's about a 2080 Ti, guys. And if you get that, and, and let's say, right, that that's about what a 3070 is going to be. Maybe a 3060, we can hope. But let's say that's even what a 3070. There's no way NVIDIA wants to charge less than $400 and this entire console may be around the price of their graphics card that's the same performance, right? I mean, it's yeah. something I've thought about a bunch of times, especially when it comes to AMD. But it's like, you know, I don't know. I think the rumors point to the 6700 being the same price and... I mean, being cheaper in the same performance than an Xbox Series X. So I don't think it hurts AMD as much. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think NVIDIA can go kick dust. I don't know. If I was Microsoft, I don't think it would stop me. I think it may be a factor to a certain extent. Don't get me wrong. But I'm more saying I don't know. if, it, it, And this is just me, uh, it, uh, just an idea off the top of my head where like. It's going to be know. a factor either way. So it's worth talking about. Yeah, it's like, so essentially what you're telling Microsoft, your idea for your next console is a console that makes our entire like <laughs> mid-range, low high-end and lower uh, graphics cards completely pointless because your well, console is going to be about the same price as one of our graphics cards. And it also runs Windows, which completely negates <laughs> really any benefit having a PC has over the Xbox Series X unless you're going for like enthusiast level performance. Well, yeah, but I mean, I I don't know, right? It's just, and, and I think it is a factor, to be honest. I do. I just yeah. don't know how much of a factor it truly is when you consider, like, the GTX 960 was 200 bucks, guys. The GTX 2060, I mean, 1060 was 
$300, but usually around $250 for the non-founders. Like, that's half the price. Like, NVIDIA can afford to make a 3060 close to the console's performance for half the price of a console. Like, yeah. and they'll be making big fat margins just like they always were. Maybe not as fat as Turing, but it's like, I, I, I don't know, right? It, it's just yeah. like, if I'm Microsoft, I just, and I, and this is actually part of a story that I want to get out there eventually. I just don't want to do it until more of it's, con- more of this comes to light publicly to just make sure people frankly believe how insane this like AMD, <laughs> right? you, I've talked to you about this, right? This AMD Microsoft relationship story is. But it's like, yeah, I mean, AMD would threaten, actually, to screw them over for some of their devices if they don't play ball with AMD. Just I've heard stories of this, to be honest, guys. But at the same time, I can't imagine they would actually say, because it doesn't matter, because Sony doesn't care. Sony doesn't even own Vio anymore. They don't even make laptops anymore. So, I mean, Microsoft might say, well, that's cool. We're just not allowed to compete with Sony. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. And I I mean, I don't know. I I don't know exactly how that would work out. Like there is, I don't think there's any legal recourse Microsoft could have for not pursuing that, but I'm not a contract lawyer, so maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know. So it's like, so like if this actually were to happen, like in your, in in what you brought up, like you're saying if AMD said it can't be less than $600, because NVIDIA really has no sway over this, let's be honest. Like, but AMD says it can't be less than $600 because you'll hurt our graphics cards. I mean, you don't think Microsoft would be like, well, okay, well, we know the PlayStation isn't that much. So what are you telling them? Yeah, I guess that's true. Or the AMD could just say, or we're just not going to fulfill this contract with you. Like, well, this is dead. And let's be honest. I don't know how much AMD cares. Like yeah, they sell true. to the data center guys. I think this is this is an argument that's definitely probably much more on the mind of NVIDIA. But I don't know what NVIDIA can really do about it. And at the end of the day, AMD, I think people, this argument centers around just kind of forgetting to a certain extent that at the end of the day, do-it-yourself market is peanuts compared to all these other markets. And so we're assuming they actually care. Yeah, and I will say this is coming from a perspective of me being an armchair executive. Right. Where, <laughs> where it's like, I don't even know if the the things that I'm, the calculus in my brain is even at all close to what an executive that's actually making these decisions actually cares about. It's like, oh, our DIY market will be str- smaller. Okay, well, we just confirmed 20 million. Uh, yeah, consoles a year. It, so what the yeah. heck do we care? Which is my opinion of what they think. Now, again, it hurts NVIDIA much more. <laughs> but, you know, NVIDIA then, you know, you've got all this R&D spending. Prove you're doing something with it. Yeah. Which I think they might. David Del Real writes in and he says, Hey, guys, with the MSI thing, which we reported um, back on the last Tom and Dan Broken Silicon, with MSI paying, trying to pay off a tech tuber, he says, with the MSI thing, it's apparently a regional representative and not necessarily involving MSI corporate. I think it was Gamers Nexus Steve that talked about it. Yeah, so that's interesting. That was something we hypothesized too. Like, there's no way this comes down from the top. That would make no sense. It has to be some overzealous guy in the company yeah. who like needed something that. to do well. But yeah, yeah it's good to hear that. that confirmed. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I still think my overall, our overall point that this casts into doubt, all, like reviews of, from MSI in general, I, I don't think that changes my opinion on that. I mean, knowing that it might have just, yeah, it probably was just some overzealous uh, marketing person. It 
it's more comforting to know that, but I mean, you still have to doubt it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, look, it's like the buck stops somewhere. So MSI somehow let this happen no matter what. And there should be some backlash to them or maybe people will just do it again. (laughs) I mean, come on. Um, VI Pass writes in and he says, the Oculus Quest is the version you kind of keep referring to, which is the full VR and AR standalone six DOF system. Uh, so he's talking about the one, you know, with like the um, smartphone processor in the VR device instead of yeah, yeah. plugging it into a computer. It says all you need is the headset and controllers and you're ready to game. The store and games are all on the headset too. The Oculus Go was kind of similar, which is what you said, Tom, but is extremely limited. And it is also discontinued. Oh. Yeah, I don't really pay that much attention to VR right now, guys. On another note, there is PC headsets that support wireless already, such as the HTC headsets. The only problem right now uh, with the Oculus Quest or VR in general at the moment is availability. Headsets such as the Valve Index are on a three-month back order from time to order to (laughs) ship. The Oculus Quest is in a similar situation with availability very sparse. That's good to know they're getting to it then. Yeah, I mean... I know there was some like wireless thing, and I think I accident I referred to the Oculus Quest as the Oculus Go at one point, which I actually did at one point know the correct name of that. But thanks for the correction. Yeah, um, I would just say that all I have to add to this really is I think by the end of this console generation, we're going to have decently mainstream VR. Like I think they'll figure it out by the end. Whether yeah, it's Sony so. or Vive or Oculus, they're going to. I do. Yeah, and the big problem is, yeah, they might be available, but they're, like you say, incredibly limited availability. And I'm guessing that also means, what, $1,000 at least? I think the index uh, is $1,000. Yeah, the best ones are, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, I definitely, I just, I'm not getting another, I got, as people know, I have the PSVR, but that's because I got it for like 150 on Amazon day two <laughs> years ago. And I'm like, yeah, I'll play Resident 7, Resident Evil 7 and uh, Super Hot in VR for 150. Sure. that That's where you get me with the early VR stuff at that price. I'm, I'm, I'm in, but I'm not paying yeah. any more than that. I'm not paying a cent more than like 200 bucks, I guess we'll say for a VR package that isn't wireless and isn't above like, I don't know, around again, I think 1440p per eye is what I want. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, until it's actually can be used in a lot of games, like I don't think VRs ever overtake. I mean, Half-Life Alex is almost enough though. Not, not, Not enough for me to spend a thousand, but it is enough for me to spend like 400. I will say that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when I'm ever going to play Half-Life Alex. I, I want to play it really badly, but if I have to spend $600 for one game, I'm not going to do it. I mean, that. I mean, think of how many fish you would have to kill to afford that. That's a lot. <laughs> so it's too many fish. It's an irresponsible amount of fish. Carbon Cry writes in and he says, piggybacking on the last broken silicon in the discussion on the state of tech journalism in the past, today and tomorrow, I'd be happy to share my view. Okay, well, I don't know if we're happy about your view, Carbon Cry, but I guess we'll let it pass. Well, watch yourself, counselor. He says, I disagree. It's the competition that drives up quality now. It's a factor for sure, but not a main one. I think the crucial part is specialization. Tech YouTube has such a population that we are getting high levels of specializations in what people want to hear and talk about. Moore's Law is Dead doesn't really compete, in my opinion, directly with Cortex, Adored, or Hardware Unboxed. You know, I'd, I'd say it's different. You know, like Cortex definitely goes for futurism. I'd say, 
I, I'm going to be honest for adored. I'm not really sure anymore. Like I, I would, I guess I would say adored uh, honestly goes for shitting on Intel. That's actually what I would say. <laughs> I mean, what would you, uh, I mean, cause it used to be very similar to like things I would say, but at this point it really seems to be about the behind, you know, it's about the behind the scenes of what's going on in these companies. He seems to focus on. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's actually, especially a, lately. A, that's a good way to put it. I would say, um, I mean, yeah, you're not directly competing for time slots. So the competition of, I don't know, like the, the competition like uh, that you uh, traditional like TV markets you have isn't there as much because I see can see a Moore's Law's dead video and a Cortex video pop up at the same time. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to click on one instead. It's significantly less likely to have the type of competition that you see with like a network TV or even streaming, honestly, because there is competition yeah. with streaming where it's like, you know, I, and again, guys, I'm just speaking for me, you know, a, a season of the handmaid's tale comes out or stranger things. I'm picking handmaid's tale. It's not even close, you know, and I'll get through probably several shows before stranger things. I like stranger things, but for me, it's like, there are some shows I just like way more, right? Like right now yeah. we're watching too old to die young, which is like one of those shows where I don't even know if I can recommend it to others, but I really like it, <laughs> you know? And so, but it's so different from other shows and streaming makes it less of the competition, but I, yeah, I think on YouTube, it's even more specialized, especially because like, like look at the budgets we need. You get, if we can get to like a thousand patrons at reasonable levels of support, we don't need, that's enough to support me and a few people making content. Like we don't need a hundred million dollars, which is, yeah, it is, it is quite a, a difference to what you're seeing with video games too. The, the big problem, I, I don't know if this is what he touched on specifically that we see with like movies and um, even if, even if it might not stop you from watching another movie, the problem with movies and big games now is like they're a failure. They don't make back their money if they don't sell like five to 10 million copies. Like, whereas <laughs> yeah. when you're specialized and you have people donating directly, like I think Patreon takes like 5% out of it. And that's it. We get the rest of it. You know, like there's much less of a middleman compared to what there used to be. Yeah. That allows you to exist on having 55,000 or what What are you at? 69,000 fans now. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. 69, Whereas, yo. I mean, in pre previous markets, like the when we were in like the three channel era of TV, it, <laughs> people Jeez. were getting like... 30 million views if you got yeah. below 30 no 30% not 30 million viewers you had below but sometimes you would you get insane amounts of viewers for like a mash finale or something yes but if you have below 30% of the market we were like well we failed that night <laughs> yeah where yeah there was just three yeah and whereas now it's like you can survive just I mean you really can survive if you get a decent amount of patrons and you just keep putting out the content they want that they support. Um, and you have like a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube for the rest. Like it's that yeah. that's what it takes now. Yeah. And I and I agree. I agree, Carbon Cry. Like it is what is killing a lot of I agree. I mean, to go back to Carbon Cry's original point after going off subject three or four times as usual. Like, yeah, I mean, with tech journalism, a lot of the major websites fall apart because they try to like cover everything and and I think it's it is I think it is a combination of not knowing whose voice is talking with any individual article on a website. But then it's also just like, look, I like the way this guy gives me the news. So I'm gonna go to him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we do try to be different here. 
And we are fan supported on Patreon. And remember, you can support, send in those reader mails, just shameless plug. Send in those reader <laughs> mails if you support us on Patreon at the right tier level. But uh, yeah, so that's all the corrections, omissions, uh, me and Dan goofing around to try to warm things up, which I really should have done with the uh, loose ends. If you guys can believe it, we'll get into it more in the upcoming uh, news stories. But like, I actually didn't intend to come in hot with that loose ends. I actually tried not to based on the (laughs) notes I wrote. And then I just started, I mean, to quote one person, I think this is a good way to put it. He said, who replaced Tom with Bill Burr for the opening of this loose ends episode? (laughs) So I do want to be clear about that. I actually don't care about, well, I shouldn't say don't care. I'm not afraid to be ultra harsh and critical of even like fan submitted questions. And I think that's what you should expect from me, but I didn't intend to be, but I clearly was. So I don't know. I'll try to more elegantly get my opinions out about RDNA in this episode. Did you watch any of that, Dan? Uh, no, I didn't get the chance to, but I should watch the first bit of it, I think. I mean, I, I, the, the thing is, it actually gained us a bunch of patrons. So I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with that info. <laughs> uh, coming super hot all the time but I mean the thing is what annoys me is that the first 10 minutes while well, coming in super hot I actually do think the rest of the episode was one of the best loose ends and that's what I said in the comments dude if you have a problem with people getting warmed up just skip the first 10 minutes man which I think yeah. I'm going to do in future loose ends I said this to you Dan I think I'm going to just uh, like talk about the games I'm playing for the first 10 minutes to like it's so hard to explain this but like you need to warm up your brain in the beginning of a podcast that's why me and dan kind of start casually here on purpose to warm up our brains because if you don't you'll just you'll you'll become wildly off point or wildly aggressive and you've noticed that me and you have done that multiple episodes like i think now we're pretty good at it gerard tells us that because he has to edit out less and less every episode by the way (laughs) Yeah, when we just go on, I mean, you guys didn't see it, but we just went on rants where we just yelled fuck for five minutes straight. And it just back and forth, see who can make, and it's like, was that really necessary? And looking back, I don't think it was. I just don't think that's what's needed in 2020. All right, now that we're fully getting entirely off subject and doing bits, let us get in. to the news. All right, first article. uh, Well, I guess first story, GA101 canceled due to TSMC capacity problems. This is actually referencing my GA101 and Big Renoir video, which was a little annoying, and I I can't act like I'm surprised. A third of the video was updating my opinions on RDNA2, and of course, that's like all anyone talks about in the comments. The point of that video really was about GA101 and like getting that extra confirmation that GA101 really was no RT, Half of a GA100, like meant to be, I don't know, a die size probably similar to GA104 or 103, you know, somewhere around there, and only doing compute. But as they lost more and more, as it became more and more clear they weren't going to get the required capacity, they were like, okay, bottom half of the line of Samsung 8 nanometer. Okay, also we're axing A101 because we really don't need two of these top-end cards on it, but we definitely need the top one, right? And uh, yeah. now it sounds like almost the entire lineup is not going to be on TSMC 7 nanometer. I still think they might do like the RTX 3090 on it in like limited capacity. Like I do, but... Yeah, I mean, we'll see. But it really sounds like to me, it sounds pretty obvious they're going to put at least some version of GA102 on 8 nanometer. 
which they were they did not want to do that before. So who knows? Maybe it'll just be the 3080 and the 3070 or something, or 3070 Ti, and then they or or even just you know the 3080 Ti, and then they just have the 3090 and Titan come out in limited numbers. Um, I mean, I guess that's a possibility. So uh, to be clear, so the GA 101 die that was just four. So so instead dying. of eight thousand CUDA cores, yeah, four thousand instead of. Six stacks of HBM, although A100 is five because they disable one. This, mm-hmm. which again, and I think the fact that they cut down A100 so much, it's a little, I mean, GA100 so much, it's explained. It's like, oh, because they can't get much capacity. They need almost 100% yields and they want to have one card sold to data centers. I think that's why it's cut down more than expected. I wouldn't be surprised if they're putting away some yields to eventually launch a stronger a100 model. Don't get me wrong, they might. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what's going on. And they're like, do we really need this three stacks of HBM version when we can just have one model? Yeah, I mean, and I'm guessing if a data center or whatever needs what A100 has to offer, that's just what they're going to get. And if if they would have preferred the uh, GA101 die, I mean, it's just not available to them. <laughs> yeah, and so, and and I actually did hear that loosely suggested by other people, but this was the first uh, source who really didn't have much. You know, again, most of the time, well, I, again, I can't really say how they're connected, but it's like people connected to people at NVIDIA where they can provide some proof of this and like and like how they, like this isn't someone like in NVIDIA and this mm-hmm. isn't someone like, how would you say, supplying the, fi- like supplying specific components who knows a lot of details, but it's someone who knows people there and he's like, yeah, by the way, this is, here's the proof. This is what happened with that. I don't have much else to add, but maybe you'll find this interesting. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I actually do. I think this is really interesting. (laughs) Finally confirming what the hell GA101 was, which actually was always rumored to be a half A100. I just never dug into it because I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm mixing something up, but you showed like some fake slide on your video that was supposed to be GA101, (laughs) right? (laughs) No, that was... No, uh, uh, Yeah, so in that video... The one we're talking about, and the links in the description, guys. Uh, I, I showed another fake GPU leak that was based on GA100 and supposedly the oh, Titan. Yeah, yeah. And half of the things it said it had literally aren't in the GA100 silicon. Yeah. So I'm just like, dude, this is worse than that RDNA2 fake leak I was sent. This one's crazy fake. This is hilarious. Yeah, yeah at least like the RDNA fan two. was messed up in the picture. Remember, it was literally blurred yeah. over. Like, come on. And like the thing was bent. There was part of the thing bent. Like again, people yeah. made fun of that RDNA 2 thing, but I'm like, maybe it could be a placeholder. It's like, no, this isn't a placeholder. What the hell is this? Yeah, at least some thought went into that fake RDNA 2 leak. <laughs> yeah, this one, not too much thought. Not no. too much thought. And then also in that video, I guess I'll touch on it, was the big Renoir um, thing, which I'm hoping to get more information on that soon. Again, like I said in there, it's just one source. He's reliable, but it's one source, so I don't know how much, you know, I'm not ready to mm-hmm. double down on this big Renoir coming out, but what I ran with the information because I looked it up, and it's like, Renoir only supports eight PCIe lanes. There's rumors the reason you're not getting an RTX 2080 laptop with Renoir right now is because it doesn't perform better, because it needs more than eight PCIe <laughs> lanes, right? And yeah. then there's also the fact that Renoir only supports 64 gigabytes of RAM, and there are workloads that professionals run in the field on laptops that don't need a powerful GPU, but they need 128 gigabytes. It's kind of like that AI developer said, it's like, what GPU do you ideally want? He's like, oh, I don't know, an RTX 2060 with a terabyte of RAM? 
<laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I, there are certain applications that just require a shit ton of RAM. Like, there's even some stuff like that I, I've had to do in lab where where um, the Mac I have, for some reason, only has like four gigs of RAM and nice. to run tasks. And it's it's not a task that requires a bunch of processing, really. It just requires a lot of, a lot of RAM, and I can't do it because of those limitations. Right. And like, and then if you, so then if you consider that, it's like, well, this is a hole in the market AMD needs to fill. Like, and I, and then actually I always wondered what was going on with those other Renoir leaks. Cause there are engineering samples that have circulated with 12 compute units, 16 compute units. I'm like, yeah, they're probably just screwing around with them. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I always wondered like if, if Renoir is meant to be cheap, I could totally see a version with more PCIe lanes, maybe a few more USB or lightning IO. And then maybe they put in a few more compute units as well because it's meant to be a standalone professional thing or something. And and mm-hmm. yeah, so it's like, yeah, I think this is something, this at least tells you what Big Renoir is if it ever comes out. And it's a hole in the market, so I'm excited if it does. Yeah, I don't know. I, it makes me also just keep wondering, though, if this does come out in like a month, what is going on with like Cezanne and Van Gogh? Except, I don't know. I guess just because we know it's in Cezanne and Van Gogh doesn't mean it should come out soon. I mean, we had... We basically know the specs of Vega two years before it came out. So, yeah, and as based on my memory, if if it's serving me correctly, like Cezanne, both Cezanne and Van Gogh are very likely like more than half a year out, right? Um, yes, except there was one sample that I thought was Van Gogh being tested a few months ago, or okay. f- five months ago uh, at this point, I think. So maybe, wait, maybe six months ago. My God, this year's gone by fast, guys. <laughs> um, and so who knows, right? But um, that, that does make me wonder that, um, almost if this could just be that. But I don't, I don't think it is. Um, I don't know. Otherwise, besides that, I don't really have much else to add in this video to Ampere. It's like, I've seen it. Yes, I've seen all of the leaks. Oh, now, now the 3080 is 20% stronger. Now it's 35% stronger. Now the 3090 is 50%. Now it's 40. Now it's, it's like, you guys... The whole time I've been saying it's 30 to 60% stronger with an emphasis on the middle of that number. And I'm pretty sure I know the features they're working on and the capacity. What I've reported on specifically is three different samples of Ampere and the features in that first leak. So I'm kind of done covering Ampere. I'm curious about RDNA because we still don't know nearly enough for how soon it's coming out, supposedly, unless it's delayed, which it's rumored to be. But in terms of Ampere, I'm kind of done. Kind of done. It's actually been stressing me out how much I'm just seeing it ping pong around what Ampere is because you know so many people are going to like attack me if I'm off by one decimal point. But it's like I got to stop letting it yeah. stress me out. I, I don't know. I think that's one reason I, I was stressed out in the loose ends. I mean, and we we really haven't gotten an interesting new card for a while. Like I think the most interesting graphics card release is was the 5700 XT, and like that. How long ago is that? Was like eighteen months ago now, right? Um, I mean, no, I think like twelve months. Okay, well, my concept of Dan, what about the fifth version of the sixteen fifty? Isn't that cool though? Another version of the sixteen fifty. That's about as interesting. (laughs) I forgot about that one, (laughs) but but yeah, it's just I think people are hungry for more information, and we'll know we'll know what Ampere actually is soon. And I think you've covered it to death. So unless you get some huge leak, I don't see why you would really talk about it again. Right. Get Entropy writes in and he says, do you know if AMD is working on something to better compete with NVIDIA's CUDA offering for computing on GPUs? Um, 
Yes. In a word, they're just trying to make their drivers more stable and they're working on their performance and machine learning. That's what I've been told by a few people. That's all I can really say. Um, they're trying to get better adoption of their software versus the CUDA software that's used in a lot of institutions. And I mean, I've had the AI developer on and he said AMD is getting better, but they're not even close, right? When it comes to like yeah. that type of stuff, machine learning. And I don't know what else to add besides AMD is just trying to bolster how good it is now. And uh, I don't think it's anything to rival CUDA. It's going to be open source as usual. Yeah, and I'm, well, I mean, AI development, I'm sure there's a lot of money in it with like certain supercomputers, but I don't know, maybe that's a segment that AMD will just never take. Um, well, there again, we'll what I hear is that RDNA 2 is surprisingly better at it than people would think. So they're going to try okay. to, but I agree that it's not until RDNA 3 that I see them having a real chance of taking it. We'll see, though. Mm -hmm. I'm always excited to be happily surprised, you know. Pyroxide writes in and says, if HBM2 gets cheap enough to put on more GPUs, do you think that we will have more short PCBs that can have much better cooling potential, as well as small form factor appeal with the same cooler? Or do you think that the space is just going to be filled up with NAND in the future? I mean, I guess it's kind of like several questions you asked. I think that we have cheaper, like, because people need to understand is HBM2E is actually cheaper to make than HBM2. Like, that's one of the main points. And so I do think. I don't really see it being cheap enough. I mean, guys, like a gigabyte of GDR6 is like five goddamn dollars, like five to 10 yeah. bucks. And I think, I mean, heck, I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly where we're at now with um, HBM prices. But again, what's been quoted a million times, it was like $150 for the four gigabytes in the Fury, $300 for 16. So I think we're probably at about half that again, which puts us at about, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks per gigabyte or something. Like who knows for sure. No, I guess not. Wait, you know, let me correct myself. Not like $30. It's, it, I think maybe we're down to like $20 if it's really fast, or maybe mm -hmm. even 15 if it's super slow. But that's still three times the price of GDR6. So unless you need... <laughs> and also, <laughs> you need good heat sinks. Like they talked about how with Vega, they really had to put thought into like... like Because it's not necessarily perfectly level if the stacks of HBM with the top of the die, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. And so you need to have really good mating of the heat sinks to that 2.5 D stacking. So it is more expensive. It just is. And it's getting cheaper. I, I really think that it's going to be RDNA three, where we finally see AMD try moving this into the mid range, like $300 cards with HBM, maybe, especially if RDNA three is an MCM approach, because then you have to assume they're going to make like eight gigabyte dies that they kind of Lego brick together. Yeah, that makes sense. And like maybe the low end one or the $200 version is eight gigabytes. Then they have the 16 uh, uh, gigabyte version for like 300, you know, and so on and so forth. You know, I think that's when we're going to see it. And do I think, yeah, I think we'll see some real small form factor ones for the <laughs> single tile version, right? Yeah. Like you could almost see that. Oh, yeah, tiny. I mean, I mean, heck, right now they have a 50 watt Navi 10 version that's used in Max. So uh, I'm sure that's tiny. And I'm sure you could, yeah. and 50 watts. They could technically, if they wanted to, make a $300 card, $400 card right now that doesn't need a PCIe connector and fits in small form factor, like real small form factor, you know, low profile graphics cards. They could probably do that right now. It's just the market's not there for someone putting a $300 graphics card <laughs> or $400 graphics card, really, in a $200 PC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So that is that reader mail in between this next story here. And so story number two, Big Navi, not so big. So this is directly reporting on Cortex's article. And I quote from Cortex, uh, Cortex's website. Uh, reports from sources in Asia indicate AMD has started sharing details with partners about the upcoming RDNA 2-based gaming GPUs. A best-case scenario supposedly shared by AMD is that at most, gamers should expect to get about 15% over the 2080 Ti in AMD-optimized titles. According to the same source, AMD is aiming to launch Big Navi as a direct competitor to the soon-to-be-launched 3080 and not as a competitor to... NVIDIA's highest performing part, as has been up to 50% faster in traditional rasterization. The Big Navi reveal should happen sometime in early September, with the actual launch happening on the 7th of October. Pricing for Big Navi will be determined by how NVIDIA decides to price their cards. (laughs) Yeah, of course, that one. Yeah, so, I mean, I already touched on it unelegantly in the loose ends. And I touched on it in the video, actually, that we just talked about, right? The GA101 video, where I basically said, look, I've talked to Cortex offline, and I've looked at some of his details in that article. Half of the things he says, including what he says about ray tracing, line up with what I've heard about how ray tracing works with RDNA2. So there's, look, guys, Cortex isn't lying. Having said that, I just have to be honest with my opinion. I find it so unlikely that what's rumored to be Big Navi is only 15% better than a 2080 Ti. Like, I just find that unlikely. And I want to say this too, compete with the 3080. So if he says best case scenario in specific games, 15% better. So that, well, you mean like 10% better than a 2080 Ti? Guys, the 3080 is going to be 20, 25% better. Maybe 30 even. (laughs) So how this lines up with literally all other leakers and my own info, it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Cortex is not line, but the best thing I can say, and I do consider him a friend, is this does not line up with my or anyone else's info. And the fact that he doesn't show specs in this article, that's a problem for me because I want to know what he's showing. Because like when I think about, again, like and we were talking about this offline, Dan, like think about this. (laughs) The, like, let's just even use the PS5. I mean, I don't know, guys. Like the PS5 is 5700 clocked, 20% faster with more IPC. So it's at least around a 2080-ish, you know, at the least. And we still don't know how good the PS5's customizations, our IPC will affect it. It's like, so you mean to tell me something based on what Rogame said, based on what I've said, at least 72 compute units. Rogame confirms the full dies 80. Doubling compute units isn't going to be... I don't know how that can be that weak. I don't know how. I don't know. What do you, you look like you want to say I mean, something, it, Dan? It, it sounds like the performance being described would be like what you would see in a 6800, maybe even a 6700 XT. And if Big Navi is 72 compute units, almost uh, at the low end guess, almost what? Uh, that would be almost double for the 5700 XT. Uh, so what? They're going to do that for what? Like 40% more performance or something? <laughs> Yeah, I, basically, right. Like that, like, because if you think about it, the, and you go to tech power up for this, obviously it varies, but I mean, basically the 2080 Ti, and again, the NVIDIA fanboys will go ape shit, but guys, e- e- eat it. Like, this is the truth. The 2080 Ti, despite costing three times as much, is 35% better than mm-hmm. the 5700 XT. I think what we should expect out of a 6700 XT is an RDNA 2 40 compute unit die that's clocked 20% faster with higher IPC. Just right off yes. the bat, 
I would say, than the 6700 XT, which is probably around the same compute unit count as the 5700 XT, is close to a 2080 or better than a 2080. And so you're going to double the compute units, over double the bandwidth, and now you get 10% more performance. I don't buy it. I'm just being honest. And if I'm wrong, well, let's be clear about the implications if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, that if I'm that- wrong and they double compute units and that's all the performance they get, then first of all, Mark Cerny was right that we shouldn't have added more compute units, right? Yeah, Microsoft Microsoft's decision to have 56 compute units is Instead of higher clock speeds, them. yeah. Yeah. Which and, doesn't make any sense to me when we look at Gears of War enhanced performance. Like that was running 4K 120. That that looked like yeah. they said better than a 2080 right there. So I just don't see it. And essentially that's also saying that uh, RDNA doesn't scale past 40 compute units and it can't scale. Past or, or at least not past like 50 because what you're saying yeah. is, and again, I'm just basing it on public information, guys. Like when you look at the Gears of War enhanced uh, gameplay where they, they were saying Digital Foundry said it was running well over 100. It was running base almost as well as a 2080 Ti in the Xbox Series X. Well, that's 52 compute units. So what, we're increasing compute units by almost, what is that, 10, 20, 30, 40, 60% over 50? And it only adds 10% more than the Xbox. Like I don't, or 20% more, let's say, to be generous. That would be a disaster for our yeah. DNA too. The only yeah. thing that would, to me, explain why they would still release it is for data centers. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So, I, so let's be clear, guys. I can construct an argument about how this is true. But as people gave me shit for it, I could also construct an argument how that fake RDNA leak was real. <laughs> I just don't think it's likely. And when you're talking about AIBs, you have to remember that like they don't get access to these other, to everything. Like AMD specifically goes out of their way to give them info at the last minute uh, if they can so it doesn't leak. So I, I just think what Cortex is showing is what AIBs are assuming is Big Navi and that that version goes up to, who knows, right? 56 compute units maybe or, or something right. like that. Which I will say this, if this is what AIBs are assuming is Big Navi and they're wrong about that assumption. Well, <laughs> this why I've never liked the term Big Navi because it's like bigger than what? A 250 millimeter squared die? There's probably two dies yeah. above it. Oh, you really think they're going to cut down an 80 compute unit die to what, right? There's going to be two 40, dies yeah. above it. Yeah. But no, it's just, uh, uh, hopefully the marketing isn't all over the place for uh, RDNA 2, but maybe it will be. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. But yeah, I mean, that's really, and, and, and you know, all I can really say about this. And, you know, when I think about the rumor I always heard since a year ago was that the very top version is going to have at least 72 compute units, possibly cut down from 80. That's mm-hmm. what I heard. That's what I covered. You can go listen to the old broken silicons from, again, a year ago. <laughs> and that's what I covered back then. And that there were top dies, some with GDR6, some with, HBM, but that they plan to have at least two 256-bit dies, one that's about 40 compute units and one that's about 56, that they would just use faster memory with the 56 mm-hmm. one. Who knows? Maybe they'll go to 320-bit, you know? Like, like, that's what the Xbox has. And then that the top one should be 384-bit. That would make a lot of sense, you know? And again, if you use 18 gigabit per second memory... On a 384-bit bus, I mean, you are 
Yeah, you're, I think you're over doubling bandwidth. And I think, <laughs> and, and I've been thinking about this too, the rumored number of ROPs, right? So there's 64 ROPs in the 5700 XT. I'm mm-hmm. told both the PS5 and Xbox actually still only have 64. And so look, if for some reason the top dies a 56 compute unit with 64 ROPs, I don't know. That sounds like what Cortex is describing, frankly. Yeah. But I've always heard the top one should go up to 96. Oh, okay. You yeah. know, and and if you and again, so how I would put this, 96 ROPs, right? So 96 ROPs clock 20% faster. Again, I don't, I, I find it unlikely this 80, again, because we can't assume compute units scale linearly. Mm-hmm. But even if they don't, I just find it so unlikely with the, uh, with the faster clock speeds, the doubling of bandwidth and the higher IPC that the 80 compute unit version isn't at least 80% better than a 5700 oh. XT is what I'm going to say, which would be at least 30% better than the 2080 Ti, not 15. And that sounds like that would compete with the 3080, by the way, which is what AMD reps told one of my sources. Yeah, and if it also if it were that much weaker, I I don't think they would release it because I would assume there would also be pretty massive power consumption issues. Yeah, and that's the thing. They're increasing efficiency. And again, like, and there will be a link in the description, like you can go to the Navi 2X reveal where literally AMD shows, and in the, in Lisa Sue was interviewed, where she says, we're going to compete on all market segments. We're calling it Navi 2X. We're going to have higher performing parts with 50% more efficiency, 50% more performance per watt. So they're clearly talking about a 300-watt card at least. I mean, guys, so that's what I'm saying too. And this is where I kind of try to summarize all of this, right? Because we've been talking about it for a while, but I think it's an important subject. Um, Like, At the very least, here's what we know. Number one, AMD clearly publicly said they want to double 5700 XT performance. They called it Navi 2X. They talked about a higher power usage card with 50% more efficiency per watt. They talked about competing at all market segments. That's for sure true. Um, Number two, we know that, I mean, based on all available information, that Ampere should be at least 40% better with it. I I don't know. You never know, right? I'll say at least 35% better. But I think, you know, 40, 35 to 50 to, I don't know, somewhere around there percent better. And that the 3080 is based on the 102 die now. So I think the 3080 should be at least 20% better than a 2080 Ti. And AMD reps, you know, told one of my sources they believe they could maybe beat the 3080, which again, lines up with much more performance than this. Um, and Rogame doesn't really put out stuff, which we're about to get to him, right? Doesn't really put out stuff unless he's sure. And he's saying 384-bit fast memory. Well, I guess, well, we're assuming fast memory, but I guess he didn't technically (laughs) confirm that. Uh, And 80 compute units, right? So that's the information we have. And we know that NVIDIA is possibly releasing a 3090, which tells you they're scared. I I would find it, it it would be worse than Vega if all this is true and Navi is just 10% better than a 2080 Ti. Yeah, and then just combine that in with all their marketing. So like, they were this confident for it to all fall apart like two months before the finish line. I assume <laughs> I assume they're confident in their lineup. Maybe it won't live up 100% to what they're... Well, that's the thing, too, is I do see to, a lot but. of people in the comments like it could triple 5700 XT performance. And that's where I'm like, shut up. Shut God, up. Let's OK, let's be realistic and let's not 
just immediately set ourselves up to be disappointed no matter what AMD does. <laughs> yeah, because that's what I feel ma- like is happening. There's always this tendency with AMD where people always overestimate what it's going to be. Like, always overestimate. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add to this before we get to the next story? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, Rogaine, and this is story number three, Rogaine confirms Big Navi, <laughs> this is what I named it, sounds much bigger than what Cortex describes. And I did talk to uh, Rogaine offline about it too. So yeah, 80 compute units, guys, 384-bit bus. Remember, my source told me 384-bit bus. And also, I heard a year ago and recently that NVIDIA, the, well, no, so a year ago it was from someone who works um, with professional cards and from his friend's they were all saying AMD wants to get above thir- get to at least 72 compute units that they're going to use HBM2E. Now, that's all I really heard. It was very loose information. But then I also heard that right now within NVIDIA, they think AMD will at least have a 72 compute unit card, 384-bit. And again, if you think about it, right, that within NVIDIA leak, which again, I, it really annoys me how many people are saying I'm confirming that's what Big Navi is. No, that's what NVIDIA thinks it's going to be. Right, like, yeah. and, and like, and actually, if you look at the die size they said, which is like four seventy millimeter squared, I think we know that the eighty compute unit version should be a bit above five hundred. So what? So if you think, if you bad, if you cut down eighty compute units to seventy two, they're probably targeting what it would the effective die yeah, size. Yeah. Which is, look, I know a bunch of people are want to kill me for describing it that way. I know it's not the same thing. I know, <laughs> but I'm just saying, right? It really lines up, like <laughs> no, so. It does. Um, yeah. And and that's why I came in so hot in the loose ends is I couldn't believe the people misquoting me because there were some people saying Rogue Games information disproves my leak. And I'm like, first of all, I literally say in my video, I think this isn't a hundred percent confirmed. Don't take it as exact specs. And I haven't, I can't vet this source as much as the other ones. So just don't, or I shouldn't say that I can't vet this information as much as the other ones. Cause it's like from within NVIDIA. So just take this as a rough target and like, mm-hmm. And like people completely ignoring that actually Rogue Games info <laughs> lined up a lot with mine, <laughs> like and how annoying that was. But it's because people were like miss, like literally lying about what I said. But yeah, I don't know. What do you have to say about this, Dan? I'm assuming you looked into these links. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this to death for the most part. I feel like ADCU 384 bit. That's kind of the top end. Uh, from like a tech uh, top end we've been expecting for like a year now. I don't know how much more I have to put about it. it this ADCU 384 bit seems very realistic to me. Right. And let us move on then to story number four. So this is again, and th- I'm kind of done talking about Ampere. More Big Navi stuff, guys. Story number four. Big Navi allegedly has 16 gigabytes of memory for one model. Hynex begins mass production of fast HBM2E. So there's two, there's two links for this one. There's video cards doing some detective work about all mm-hmm. these different big Navis. One that supposedly is 16 gigabytes of HBM and uh, one that is 16 gigabytes of GDR6. And I just want to say it again, guys. Do you think there's a chance that the 16 gigabytes of GDR6 is just the 18 gigabit per second memory version of like a 56 compute unit? 6800 XT, not the 6900 XT, and that AIBs are thinking this is the biggest Navi. Oh, that's that's an interesting uh, piece of speculation there. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Um, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, then if the top-end model had 16 gigabytes of HBM too, we, uh, I mean, AMD likes putting HBM at the, their top-end models of cards, so that 
Well, and Rogue Game seems to be sure that the 80 compute unit version, there will at least be a 12, a, um, I shouldn't say 12 gigabyte, I should say 3D 4-bit version of that too. Yeah, and that could be a cut down Navi 21, right? I would just say it's a different version with GDR6 instead of HBM. Okay. I think. Now, there have <laughs> yeah, been rumors yeah. they would have a top die with both HBM and GDR6 memory controllers, which I think would be radical, and I wouldn't rule it out, but uh, I don't know. You know, uh, the thing is, and this is, again, a thing a lot of people have mistranslated, uh, that Navi 14 with HBM that Mac's using, again, mm-hmm. we would describe this as the HBM version of the 5700 XT in MacBooks right now. That was a different die, though, guys. That was not just Navi 10 with a latent memory controller. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I would be so sure of those rumors of two memory controllers. Although, I think it could make sense if they got it to work. I mean, again, imagine if they could say, oh, this is 16 or 32 gigabytes of HBM and then also like 96 gigabytes of GDR6. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and then the alternative might just be what the HBM 5700 is, as maybe the HBM2 one just never sees the light of day or well, maybe the GDR6 well, that's the thing. version like, doesn't. This is what I want to say, though, too, when I look at video cards detective work, and when I look at people in Chip Hell who are like, I'm sure there's a sample with 16 gigabytes of GDR6. Yeah, maybe there is, guys. Just like we know there's all these different versions of Renoir. There were all of these different Navi RDNA 1, RDNA 1.0 samples going around, and they only released the weaker ones, right? Yeah. They went 256-bit memory controller. So I just, I don't know. I, I got to say that I, I'm sure AMD is considering all of these things, but I really, if you give me all these sources, I'm going to trust Rogame more than any of them, honestly. When he says the top dies 3D4 bit, and that there's also an HBM2 E version coming in quarter one of 2021. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to see what that HBM model is, but but yeah, so it, it's hard for me to cover this, and 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 guys, that's why I've been so stressed out. Is it's like, dude, it's so annoying because no matter what happens, I have to constantly stop myself from thinking a leak proves me right. It, when at the same time, another source is saying all this other stuff. And then I'm getting attacked by people on Twitter about it too. And it's just so frustrating because it's like, this is what happens. We're one month until we know what's happening. And so all of this rampant crap's coming out. You just don't know what's true anymore. And that's why it's like, I'm, I'm pretty much completely done covering Ampere until that stuff comes out. But I think at this point, it's abundantly obvious at the very least, AMD will have something close to a 3080. And that NVIDIA, and I just want to make this clear, like, I, I still kind of think a- a- NVIDIA is going to keep the top performance crown. At yeah, least, I, I think it's more likely than not. But I continue to say I wouldn't rule out AMD taking it to a certain degree in some way, some way they can argue they took it at least. And um, that either way, guys, if you want prices to be lower, like, you should want them to at least beat the 3080. And if AMD even is close to a 3080 Ti, that would look pretty disastrous for NVIDIA because that means their top card's probably less than 20% better. And at that point, no one will care. At that point, it doesn't matter. NVIDIA can't charge more than a grand probably for the top card or without looking silly. They probably still will. (laughs) Especially if they try to like charge the 3090 or Titan or whatever the hell they call it for like $2,000 or $2,500. That's just completely untenable if AMD puts out a 80% of performance for like eight or nine hundred dollars yeah and i mean like let me just say this guys if the way we've been talking about this because and i've seen people just misquote me a lot recently it's like well now he says this he's backpedaling i'm not backpedaling anything 
Again, let me just recap. I think AMD at least is trying to double the performance of the 5700 XT, but I can't promise you that's going to happen. And I've always thought Ampere, at least should I say, always thought since my first leak, right? Um, Ampere Mm. will be at least, well, I mean, I'll be honest. I always thought it was going to be at least 40% better, but I keep saying 30 to 60% because of all the shenanigans. And, And as always, I still won't rule out some seven nanometer version from NVIDIA. Although, from what I hear, it's not good. It's mostly 8 nanometer. <laughs> they definitely wanted 104 and up on 7 nanometer, and I think it's pretty clear that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. And uh, if it sounds confusing, if it sounds like it's hard to nail down exactly it, or even what we're saying, it's because it is confusing right now. We're confused, too, by all of these leaks that are contradicting each other. I mean, yeah, and it's just shows like, yeah, they contradict each other because a company's trajectory for a product they put out is in a straight line. And you almost wonder if AMD is like literally having people considered legit sources get very, very verifiable looking info so that they can confuse people. Like yeah, I, I have been told by a tech journalist before that NVIDIA has done that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and I mean, yeah, I guess the other story we kind of ignored is HBM2E is already in production at SK Sinex, SK Sinex, SK Hynix. And per stack for 1,024 bit stack, they can get up to 460 gigabytes per second. So more bandwidth than an entire 5700 XT in one stack of memory. So even if they went (laughs) 2048-bit, right, they can get to almost a terabyte per second of memory. That's awesome. No, that's really awesome. And, 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 And it's good because usually Samsung has led with each version of HBM production. Hynix being first means prices should be a bit lower too. Oh, yeah. That means they're competing very effectively. Right, yeah. with Samsung now. Yeah. For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because... It's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I use their website and it works well. They have great customer support. And if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software. And Dyshrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use Dyshrink for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and Broken Silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmark. Dominique Cock writes in and he says, what are the next-gen features coming to GPUs after RDNA 2 and Ampere? Will ray tracing remain the focus or do you see... Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a major focus continuing to be right. Uh, but 
do you see other features being explored in the next few generations? I mean, it's hard to say, right? I really think you're going to see all these things like NV cache and high bandwidth cache and like different types of memory compression continue to be touted. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some new type of HDR feature, but I think, yeah, I think DLSS has to have AMD at least a little scared and like types of respectable, kind of like, I'm going to compare it to G-Sync where it's like, why didn't we have this before? Like not having screen tearing, like respectable upscaling tech like the consoles have always had. That should be an um, NPC. And I mean, just dedicated ASICs or at least tensor accelerated algorithms that can do things like MSAA. I think more and more stuff like that is what's coming. Yeah, I mean, and I guess as far as like what they're going to be having the focus be, I think it's all like all going to be ray tracing for the most part. Like, I don't know exactly how heavily they are going to advertise something like NV cache where that's just I don't know. Will that be a feature that's just uh, always enabled or will that be a feature that you can toggle on? and Right. That's a good question. You would assume it's toggleable on and off, but I would prefer they just make it work perfectly. And I I think and it just dynamically uses. Yeah. Easy for me to say. And it just, I am, <laughs> just make it work. Like when I do nothing to, you know, on any of this, but like, it, and it just dynamically utilizes supposedly your DDR and all of your storage devices. I assume there would have to be some type of toggle, like how much of your storage can we use for this? But yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I certainly hope it comes to the entire lineup because that sounds awesome. Yeah. And then I think the other th- big thing, NVIDIA is going to keep advertising that you mentioned is DLSS and AMD probably has to come out with a competitor to it at some point. Again, I think they have to have it for RDNA too. And if you think they're not going to, it would be suicide. Unless, yeah. unless <laughs> they beat Ampere by 20% or something nuts. And they're just like, yep, we don't have DLSS, but we have that AMD Radeon performance sharpening boost, which boosts your performance by 10% with no visual difference. And so, yep, theirs gives you a 50% increase. Ours gives you a 10%. But guess what? It works in literally every game because we just have raw power. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I guess that's (laughs) That's a scenario that could happen. I don't really think that's what's going to happen, but eh, you know. You never know. Blokes writes in, he says, by the way, I'd just like to point out the cache differences between 8-core Renoir, 12 megabytes total cache, and a 4-core Renoir, 6 megabytes total. It indicates to me that they've applied their funny discovery of 3300X performance characteristics to more than just the Zen 2 chippy-lit. Spelled it chippy-lit. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think one thing, and I've said this before, that's interesting to watch with AMD's CPU releases is every new release seems to have a few more features than the one before it, even if it's not an entire architecture upgrade, whereas in, Intel just seems to be like, nope, it is just Skylake with more cores. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak too much else to this. Um, I, I'm forgetting exactly how the uh, cache design works for the uh, 3300X. And how it differs. Uh, well, so the 3300X, I mean, it's one CCX that gets all the cache to itself without having to communicate with another CCX. It's one four-core CCX. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so it gives you a hint at what Zen 3 might be able to do, yeah, which yeah. it games really freaking well for a four-core. <laughs> yeah, very well. Jogaholic writes in, and he says, in the past, people, in the past, we have had tech reviewers and people in other media be overly critical of AMD Radeon for botching, in quotation marks, their GPU launches for a variety of reasons. Time to market, drivers, cost. Well, NVIDIA 
has had its share of issues, especially with the Turing launch. Um, yeah, I mean, like DLSS 1 not working, ray tracing games not even being out. And again, like a 50% failure rate for like, I believe the uh, top dies. People keep forgetting that. Um, it's like, do you think the media is too harsh on Radeon or do they deserve the criticism? Will the ever-building hype around AMD's product stack and increasing mindshare change the way media looks at future Radeon products? And uh, also a corollary, um, what, in your opinion, would make you consider next-gen GPU launches botched besides the obvious price factor? Um, and how do you expect the media and consumers to reach these hypothetical botched launches? So first of all, Tragaholic, you got to cut the amount of commas you're using down <laughs> by like a factor of three. Uh, second of all, though, I mean, yeah, I get what you're asking. Like, do I think the media is overly critical of AMD? In the past, I definitely think so. Moving forward, I'm not so sure anymore. What do you think, Dan? Um, I mean, I would say I think they're... It's honestly bizarre because sometimes I, when I'm like reading the conclusions to reviews for AMD products... I felt like feel like sometimes the conclusion is reviewing a different card than what the spe- graphs they've been showing are. Where it's like, yeah, it basically beats this Nvidia card, but uh, and it's it half costs, the price. But it costs a hundred dollars less, so they really need to consider lowering the price. So I think they're overly critical on stuff with like uh, price, definitely. But there is some stuff where I know in the past AMD with uh, CPUs, especially I think like. Some of their drivers are just broken at launch, and they can't keep doing that. Yeah, Ryzen 1000. Yeah, so Which I, I think, think they're not going to moving forward. So I think that's a fair criticism, and they should be criticized for that. But I also think Nvidia misses a lot of criticism it deserves. Uh, Half of the like, there was an absurd failure rate due to I believe the GDR6 um, and the launch of Turing. These are twelve hundred, eight hundred dollar graphics cards that are breaking under a month after you get it. And there, there were some tech sites that said they had like three break in a row. Can you imagine if that happened with the 5700 XT? Yeah, I know. Like, and, 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 I, and so I do agree. But you know what, Tragaholic? I'm going to be honest. I happen to know for a fact some of these websites are paid off. You know? Yeah. It's not the ones I use. Hardware and boxed in Gamers Nexus are definitely not paid off. And, and they even buy their own graphics cards most of the time now because they're practically blacklisted by NVIDIA some months. So <laughs> let's just be clear about that. So I, I, and I, I, I'm not going to say which one, because right, I've done a video about it a year ago. And I've received more information about one website that's a, one of the biggest ones that's paid off. And it's like, I hope I can put together enough information to get you know kind of an investigatory journalism piece out about it. But at, you know, I, until I can, I'll, I'll just let you know that some of them are paid off. Some of them are. It's much worse than GPP. And, and, and I say that because of what you said, Dan. Because ha- some of them have to be. You know, when you look at these people, always call ray tracing RTX, for example, even though that's not what it's called, just to give NVIDIA a slight boost. When, yeah. like you say, they're like, oh, it's 10% stronger than NVIDIA's card, and it's only $100 cheaper, so that's too much. And you just go, are you... What? <laughs> There's a reason <laughs> for that sometimes. But yeah. I do also think that what you'll see then is because some of them are paid off, other people go with the flow and they're just more critical on AMD. And it's something AMD has to work on. Uh, the other thing I want to say is like moving forward, what would I call a botch launch? 
I'm just going to tell you how I review, like I've reviewed a couple of graphics cards. How would I do it? If the thing doesn't work, I'm going to take a dump on that card in the review. Yeah. Like, and, and I will say that's something that you've seen with like the Fury launch, Vega launch, we have broken Wattman. And then you'll see a bunch of people in the comments say, oh, it's not fair because you have to do this trick to get Wattman to work. You did it wrong. It's like, you know, AMD needs to have all parts of the catalyst drivers work in the press drivers, I think. And I think NVIDIA does too. Or why are they in there? Just don't put them in the drivers yet. Wall them off. Yeah. And as AMD especially starts moving towards, I think, a more like premium image than what they've had in the past, like they're going to have to make sure all of their features work in the software that they put out. Like I've technically, right, because I reviewed the 5700, but it was months after it came out. I reviewed the Radeon 7 again, like a month or two after it came out. Drivers and and it was Vega. So, you know, uh, you know, drivers work fine. Drivers work fine on those cards for the most part. And so I didn't say anything bad. But I want to be clear. If I got a launch day card and Wattman was broken, I would dock it points. If yeah. if I had to like, like, because I know some, and this has happened multiple times recently. Again, it never used to for me. But recently, you have these Radeon drivers where they just crash like every hour. And I mean, like it needs to affect the review. Because at a certain point, reviewers need to hold these companies accountable that we can't be sure if you buy this card, it's going to work if it didn't work when we used it. Yeah, and you can't just rate a piece of hardware on what it should be because, uh, well, the given isn't what it should be. It's like, well, if it was stable, it would be this good. Well, unfortunately, what they gave you wasn't stable and you need to actually say that. And to be clear, I think people confuse what you're saying with like, like, because people will say, well, then why did people give Zen 1 good reviews if it lost to Intel and gaming, right? They're like, well, you're saying it should be better in the future. It's like, yeah, but that's different. Like, we're talking about, does this literally work? And like, when you come, yeah. like, I'm, I'm trying to not be entirely off subject when I make this analogy or comparison. It's like, but yeah, but like with like Zen 1, you're running all games above 60 frames a second. And if you run anything in the background, it clearly is more stable than Intel. And like, it's not that we're saying the CPU is going to get better gaming over time than Intel's like quad cores. Although we do think that it's that we're literally saying right now, it definitely gives you the performance you wanted and it can do other things. That's different than like literally having drivers like and going, it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean and so like i'm gonna and that's one thing i would say is i would evaluate the thing as it is and it's a it's a hard question because it it applies to gaming as well like when you have a game and it like crashes constantly should that be part of the review and i'm like i think it should be because i think when people release products they should freaking work Mm -hmm. i don't know do you have anything else to add to that dan uh no All right, moving on to story number five. NVIDIA in advance talks to buy SoftBank's chip company, ARM. NVIDIA, and I quote from Bloomberg, NVIDIA Corp is in advance talks to acquire ARM LTD, the chip designer that SoftBank Group Corp bought for $32 billion four years ago, according to people familiar with the matter. A deal for ARM could be the largest ever in the semiconductor industry, which has been consolidating in recent years as companies seek to diversify and add scale. But any deal with NVIDIA, which is a customer of ARM, would likely trigger regulatory scrutiny as well as a wave of opposition from other users. So did you read up on this, Dan? What do you think? It sounds 
like it sounds com- as legit as it can be that Nvidia is trying to do this. Well, yeah, and like they bring in the antitrust thing, so that confused I'm, me a little bit, actually. Well, so I'm not. Uh, Arm is one of the weirder companies where they're very much out of the focus of like the consumer market, so I don't really know too the, much. The about gaming them. desktop consumer, yeah, market. yeah. So they're, as far as I can tell, they're in pretty much everything. So there's this concern <laughs> that it would Nvidia would it would essentially be trying to buy up Arm to kneecap their competitors. Right. I mean, like if you think about it, I think Samsung uses a combination, right, of like an Arm uh, derived CPU and AMD GPU IP soon. Mm-hmm. And like you could argue, what if Nvidia tries to screw them or tries to screw Apple? Although from what I've been told, I put this in the notes, Apple has a license perpetually up to a certain level of ARM. And I think Apple's literally publicly said they plan to take this and slowly, literally grow their ARM-derived architecture into its entirely own architecture. They don't really see it as ARM anymore. So I think Apple doesn't actually care that much, that they have the licenses they need. Yeah, and I'm guessing that that's what would end up happening with all these other companies is that they would get the licenses they need for ARM. And I don't know, maybe NVIDIA just makes a killing with <laughs> on certain AMD products and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. Um, also, my suspicion would be like, maybe they want to just have a CPU manufacturing wing to like put in their, uh, uh, like, I don't know, like their A100 systems they could now i mean yeah there's arm server cpus up to like 48 cores or more even and and so a A, nvidia is like let's start really doing this and and i mean you got to admit that like nvidia has got to start getting scared right when you see microsoft moving towards trying to support arm well apple making their own cpus and all of them seem to be wanting to use amd graphics and then at the same time as much as intel's in trouble right now and we will get to that in a second guys um Intel's making graphics that make the uh, MX350 a joke. And so yeah. NVIDIA's like, we got to be able to make our own laptops to compete with Intel and AMD directly. I mean, yeah, I guess that could be another uh, route they're trying to go down to is on the small scale, like having, I don't know, eight, maybe in the future, eight core ARM CPUs and the uh, NVIDIA ARM CPUs and laptops. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people, though, uh, making a hubbub about it on Twitter, which I can't, and other places, like, this is, this could be horrible, and to be honest, I can't say it won't be bad. I mean, if you, I mean, I mean when I, th- it's not the same thing, it's not the same thing, but, I mean, I will bring it up, is they bought PhysX and basically threw it in the toilet. Yeah, yeah, that's true, but I feel like this would be even bigger than that. And I don't think I'm they just... will, I want to be clear, but <laughs> I get why, so I'm saying I get why people are worried, and you know, yeah. and what if they try to destroy Apple, but again, I don't think Apple's actually worried, guys. I think from a perspective of NVIDIA, they've got to do something to make themselves be able to directly compete with AMD and Intel APUs more directly. So I think this is a good move for them. Oh, uh, yeah, but it would be quite a big purchase for NVIDIA. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're valued at like $44 billion, ARM is. And uh, this article says NVIDIA is worth about $260 billion. So I don't know what the threshold for when this becomes an insane purchase for them, but that's that's a substantial amount of the uh, valuation of NVIDIA. I think this is kind of a common sense move, and I doubt it's as bad as people suspect, but that it is. Oh, I guess the last, you know, no, the the last thing I will say is that I don't, like this antitrust stuff, it's like, 
I don't know, guys. Look how big AMD is getting in Intel. You're going to apply antitrust stuff to this. Uh, can we uh, start talking about Amazon, Microsoft, Intel? Well, I mean, yeah. If we want, I almost laughed when I saw about... antitrust. I was like, like we even enforce that anymore? Or maybe we just do very selectively. I don't know. There's a lot of antitrust cases that I suspect are going to come up within the next ten years, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, is that all you have to say about what I just brought up? Uh, just yeah, that you agree that it's hilarious when Amazon's allowed to basically <laughs> uh, own the manufacturing, distribution, and uh, storefront. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a monopoly. It's not like literally the definition. No. TCSPSFS <laughs> writes in and says, "What would Nvidia buying ARM allow them to do in terms of chip design that they cannot already do with custom core licenses currently?" They are the only custom ISA extensions for low-end products as a counter to Risk Five, but I imagine some extra money would allow them to do that for their own custom cores. A lot less than the tens of billions of dollars it would cost to buy even half of ARM. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I you know, it's hard for me to comment on this. I would say yeah. they might just literally want all of the IP, and it would have to be they want a lot of the engineers there to start working directly with them. They're, that they're like that's what they're buying, right? It would have to be that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's what I would assume would be the most important part of the purchase. I mean, I guess the IP is also very important, but that's yeah, the teams and the uh, hardware that they have is what I'm assuming they care about. Yeah. Anything else to add to this? I mean, it, it was pretty big news, honestly. No, that is big news. But no, I don't think so. No, that is big news. And no. So I guess that, yes, that was big yes, news. Yes, that is big news. And no, I don't have anything else to add to it. All right. Dan is okay. Story. I am okay. Story number six. Intel's earnings call. Yeah. So, I mean, and then I also lumped in Adored TV's article about how Z could be canceled. Um, and <laughs> I mean, let me just write this down for the timestamp. Um, I, I I don't know, Dan. You I mean, you read Adored's article. What do you? Let's start there. Actually, what do you think about this information that Z's basically screwed? Um, I mean, that's really big news. It, it, it's interesting because there haven't been many public statements really about uh, Intel Z. Like, obviously, everyone knows that keeps track of this stuff knows it exists, but we've been talking about it for like the past year so much, and if it just, that would be really really strange if it just disappeared at out of thin air but i mean maybe if their problems with their four tiled gpus just aren't going away maybe it's just not tenable for them to continue developing it yeah unless they bought another company that could help them work on their acceleration <laughs> do you think that might happen uh it might start with an end and end with uvia Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, and I, so yeah, that is actually a bombshell I just dropped. That I, I believe Intel may be about to be in uh, advanced talks to acquire Nuvia to well, make that- their Z lineup to get what they need to accelerate their Z lineup in the future. Having said that, in the short term, I think they're. I, I don't see the high end, you know, which is what I've been saying for a while, guys. And I, d- I could see a situation where, right, like, like. I, I don't think Intel is planning to duck out of the GPU race as easily as Adore thinks it, it seems to think. And I and you guys got to understand in a company as big as Intel, there are factions of people 
leaking negative information if they want certain things to go a certain way. I will say that. So again, I would take this as one faction's take is what Adored's reporting on. And I don't, and, and here, and I was thinking about this the other day while walking the old doggo, like why they would cancel Z is this. I know for a fact they've had graphics cards in the labs for months that can compete with the 2080 Ti. But as I keep saying, they use 500 watts. <laughs> and yeah. their Z, their tile scaling is exponentially inefficient as you add more tiles. Although it can go above four tiles, guys. So they could get to some pretty crazy performance numbers if you have a one, if you, I'm sorry, that, you have yeah, a 2,000 watt power supply. Um, but that they might come to the conclusion that if we can't launch it now, by the time I've been told they'll get this working by Jupiter Sound, but that's 2022. So, or even 2023, maybe. So, if they get this working by then, though, the rumors are Hopper is MCM. I've I'm seeing some early indications RDNA three could be an MCM design. So, if Nvidia and AMD are also using tiles by 2023, and yeah. Intel doesn't think they're going to get it working until 2023, look, I assume their architecture. I think they're on Gen 12 with Tiger Lake, and uh, I believe what's supposed to come out next year is Gen 12.5, is what I've heard it described. Like, let's say they're on Gen 13 or 14 by then. Uh, I mean, your ace in the hole is that you could stack like eight tiles and compete with something way stronger. If you can't get that working until AMD is on RDNA 3 and NVIDIA is on Hopper, you have to question, are we ever going to catch up? And how much money is it going to take to catch up? And maybe that's why they would cancel their high-end lineup. That's the argument I will make in support of the faction I think Adored's reporting on here. Well, uh, and I mean, that makes complete sense. Like if, if it they, does, if they, if they think that AMD and NVIDIA will both have tiled solutions by the time they'll have a t- actual working tiled solution, there's no way they're going to be able to compete with AMD or NVIDIA. And I, I don't know what that means. Like if they're buying, uh, if they might be buying that not explicitly stated graphics company, <laughs> um, I don't know, would that mean to you that they're going to be using them to optimize and try to get Z actually working? Or yeah, for just... data centers. But, okay. but but the more we look at this, the more I think it's unlikely. I'm going to be honest, guys. I think it's unlikely at this point that, or unlikely is a bad term. I would not bet money Intel's ever really going to be able to compete in ultra high-end gaming. I still think low-end, low-power you know, your MX350 competitors, they should have enough IP and work done right now to scale successively with the low-end AMD and NVIDIA cards and laptops for the next couple of years. But, you know, after that, I don't know if they'll hit a Broadwell-like wall, right, and scaling again. Yeah, that's true. And in terms of getting into the high end, I'm just not seeing it. And... No one wanted, uh, remember guys, I broke the story on the fabric scaling, I think in January, and it only has 17,000 views, which is, uh, again, but you know, (laughs) and so that's one of the reasons I've been dragging my feet on getting this Z information out, which I actually looked at it. Pretty sure Adored's covered half of the stuff in my leak by now. I've been sitting on it for like three months. (laughs) Like, and at a certain point, I have to admit to myself that it's like, Yes, I think Ampere was a better thing to prioritize and the view counts and subscriber number increases. 
back that up, that that was a very good decision to like cover Ampere anytime I can much sooner. But then I also covered Rocket Lake, but that's because like, I'm sure of all that info and I'm sure they'll be able to get it out, but it also didn't sound that great. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I'm much more confident in their ability to get a working Alder Lake and Sapphire Rapids out. At a certain point, I have to admit to myself that I'm not sure I am faithful that anything they say they're going to do is going to happen with Z. Like, I just have to admit it. Like, Jupiter Sound sounds really impressive. And I'll co- I am going to cover it in a video soon, I hope. I just say I hope because <laughs> I've been saying this for a month or two, guys. Um, but that at a certain point, as much as I like to say maybe Adore is covering the negative aspect of this, I must believe a lot of it if I haven't got that Z video out yet. I must subconsciously also heavily doubt they're going to succeed. So, and again, as much as it sounds like I'm like uh, being uh, critical of Adored's reporting, I have to say that I mostly agree with it and that it seems unlikely Z will ever get into the ultra high end of gaming at the very least. Yeah, and I'll I'll let to say like when you say you're being critical of them, what you're really saying is you think the last leap that that z is just completely dead is likely not true but whatever or likely not taking into account that i i i i'm pretty confident they're considering buying nuvia and they wouldn't do that unless they're getting ready to double down yeah and if they are buying them then that means they're yeah they're they're barreling forward (laughs) maybe with z you know and and they have that august 13th z unveiling which who knows what they show We'll really know by then, right? Yeah. I'll have to see if I can get any of my sources to tell me what the heck's going on with that. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess to sum up this part of this Intel eats shit section, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the Z info ain't looking that good and they could have really used this as a big boon in 2021. And that Z uh, video breaking the news first about their scaling with they're horribly inefficient scaling with fabric and multiple tiles. I, I think I literally called part of the title was literally that uh, Z will scale like Zen dot, 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 if we can fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that you have to be open to the idea that maybe they don't ever fix it. <laughs> yeah. Which if you look at Intel's other things, it's not looking good, which gets us to the other article in this doom and gloom section about Intel of this video uh, podcast. So I didn't cover the earnings call right away. Frankly, I think the PlayStation 5 and Xbox are far more interesting than just beating the dead horse that Intel's in trouble. But I did yeah. finally listen to the earnings call. I did a bunch of stuff on the consoles. That's what this episode is about, more con- you know, covering the traditional stuff we usually do. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound good, Dan. You listened to part of the earnings call. What did you think? Yeah, I unfortunately didn't get to listen to a ton of it, but I think uh, the part that I listened to is really, really encapsulated what people have been talking about where it was during the Q and a section and uh, a guy uh, asked them essentially like, so if you guys are expecting to be on 10 nanometers ramp up to 10 nanometers soon. And by 2022 uh, TSMC and other competitors will likely be to three nanometers when you guys might be to seven um, how can you expect to compete with them? At least and, a full note behind, even if you're generous to Intel, where it's like, oh, Intel's seven nanometers like TSMC's five nanometer. I doubt it will be, but fine. Let's say it is. They're still, they're still at best a full note behind. 
Yeah, and then they just go on to say... And, and remember like, that three nanometer node comes out before the seven, probably. So that's another thing yeah. to emphasize. Go on, sorry. And uh, th- then the uh, Intel person just went on to say essentially something along the lines of, we're very happy with the products we're putting out in 2020, and we're excited about what we're putting out in 2021. Going into 2022 and 2023 and onward, we expect to... Uh, our, we. Uh, deliver products to our customers that are examples of like market leadership and we expect that ours will still be market leaders <laughs> so it was just vague non-statements about uh, about what they expect for the future because there's really nothing for them to say like they've completely fallen behind amd because they got lazy for five years and i think I don't know, uh, and it's taken them until this year for it to truly catch up to them, to them. And I don't know when they're going to be able to claw their way back, but it might be a long time. Who knows? What what I find so funny is that people are now uh, look. If you follow Moore's Law is dead. If you follow a lot of tech tubers that I hang around with, let's say that. This isn't that surprising to you that Intel's uh, stock's taking a bit of a hit and that this sounds horrible. But a lot of analysts seem surprised. And I just find it funny that it's like, that it's happening exactly as I've had it described. So just so you guys know, I am sometimes, I give freelance um, advice. I won't say which company it is, but like there's a, a hedge fund, an investment firm and I will call in during meetings and they'll say, what's your take on this story, Tom? And then there's lots of other people that do this too. You know, like I know Charlie at Semi-Accurate does. Um, and like one thing they usually bring me in for is for Intel stuff. And I get why. I really do think my Intel info is, I, I think when I, like for instance, Cypress Cove, like I'm the first one to break Cypress, Cypress Cove to, to say it's not Willow Cove and Rocket Lake to say it's not going to be as good as this, you know, like, and so they bring me in usually for what my thoughts are on things like Lakefield and all of their upcoming products. And they're like, oh, so you think Alder Lake may actually have this IPC increase? And I'm like, yeah, I think, I think Alder Lake could have a huge IPC increase for the big cores. I do think they can get the big little design working on x86 by late 2021. I do think that it's going to be radically better than Comet Lake and this, this, this. They're like, I always feel like they, to a certain extent, go, well, that doesn't sound so bad, right? And then it's like, and you think Sapphire Rapids could bounce back a little bit? I'm like, I do. But then I always just try to keep emphasizing, you keep, (laughs) yes, I think Intel may swing back by 2023. This is the speech I keep giving in these meetings. but. And I know that you guys say, oh, so it's really just 2021. I always just get the feeling that subconsciously they're saying to themselves, that's not so bad. And I keep emphasizing after giving saying that stuff, it sounds not so bad now, but let's talk when Rocket Lake launches with less IPC and double the power usage of Zen 3, and then they basically say they have nothing until the end of 2021. You say it's not that bad if they're down and out for one year, but I'm telling you it's going to seem pretty gloomy late 2020, early 2021. I just don't think anyone can completely internalize how bad it's going to feel to be Intel at the beginning of next year. And I think that's what we're starting to see is people finally accept reality of how bad it me- how bad it truly is 
that Intel may have nothing till 2022. And, and the best they'll have is little blips like Alder Lake that at best are still probably just going to be competitive with Zen 3 that came out a year before it. Yeah, and we don't know how much better Zen's the Zen architecture is going to get be. So maybe these massive improvements that they might Intel might get to once they s- stop being stuck on 10 nanometers, maybe it won't matter because I mean Zen four and Zen five will be on like three nanometers, two nanometers, maybe. Um, yeah. Well, Intel's still stuck on seven. Maybe, maybe they'll be defined. And you know them. the in, the the um, info I have, and some of it comes from public information sent to me. Um, from Mike Bruzzoni, who is no fan of Intel. The guy literally is a witness to their antitrust stuff. He hates Intel, but he sent me the info basically proving Intel has been working on seven nanometer EUV longer than people think and that they might actually get it working in 2022. So I just want to be clear. I think they could get it working in 2022. It's just, you know, and so I, and that's why I say that because I'm always, I'm kind of just always a, a what's the, it starts with a C, contrarian. Oh. Contrarian, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, I tend to try to, I not try, I tend to just naturally turn into a contrarian. And so now I feel like I have to be a contrarian and say, guys, no, I think Intel can get some great products out in 2022. But I, I did, again, just as I've kept saying though, even if they do, it, it they need to get great products out in 2022 and hope they even mostly catch up to AMD and then hope whatever yeah. the heck Zen 4 and Zen 5 are don't raffle stomp the crap out of them and that everyone keeps thinking, oh, so they could come back in 2022. And it's like, but you're just, it's going to it's gonna feel pretty bleak for the year before <laughs> it. And I, yeah. it, just, it just to me feels like people are finally accepting that reality of how bleak things are about to look. I mean, yeah, and I guess, once again, this doesn't feel like that big of news. This is not financial advice, guys. We can't say this is. (laughs) Yeah, because, I don't know, we've been expecting Intel to have issues for a while, and it's finally becoming evident that they're having issues. Like, undeniable issues. (laughs) And, you know, I'm kind of entirely changing how I'm going to cover the Z video. I think it's going to be about the potential and what they were trying to work on less so than some traditional leak. Because I'm kind of tired of doing traditional leaks. And I think, honestly, if I've been sitting on this info for three months, I'm going to guess most of it isn't exclusive anymore. You know, yeah. so, but we'll see when that comes out. And I'm sure we'll cover this much more, but I don't know that I have much more to add. I, I feel like we're going to start getting off subject and ranting if we keep talking about this. I don't know what else to say. The earnings call sounded terrible. I mean, the fact that they're not sure if they're going to use TSMC is what bothered me the most. This is the last thing I'll say. Just like, <laughs> just like literally, like you don't know. Well, it takes years to design a chip. So, what does that mean? But I don't know. Do yeah. you have anything else to add about these <laughs> gloomy Intel stories? Uh, no. All I think right. Hammered it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, again, like I say, I don't cover the negative Intel stuff much anymore because I feel like it's beating a dead horse, but I'm sure we will beat it in future episodes. Joe Starr writes in Do you foresee Samsung and Intel sharing foundry technology with each other? They both hate TSMC. They both are struggling with their new process nodes. And uh, I believe Samsung and Global Foundries had an agreement too. So that's what he's saying. And on an unrelated note, what's your taste in music? Interesting. So I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, would you? I haven't thought I mean, no, about this. I would this, never but... rule anything out. I mean, I... You almost wonder uh, if they I, have to ally against TSMC all the foundries soon because they could gobble them all up. Yeah, that sounds like a thing that could happen. Yeah, taste in music. I mean, I don't know. Lots of alternative rock. I mean, my favorite bands are like Airborne Toxic Event, Modest Mouse, The National, The Killers. I used to like Coldplay a lot, but 
one of their recent albums I just thought was terrible. I don't know. Uh, I like oh, uh, I like, oh, there's a lot. I, and of course, I love Sahara as one of my favorite bands. I like Phoenix. I don't know, Dan, you go too. What do you like? I mean, indie alternative rock. Uh, I like a lot of. A it's lot almost of like we're music. brothers. You like, like rap music rap more than music. me though. Uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Tyler, the creator. Childish Gambino, right? Childish Gambino. Yeah, and you like more guys. rap than me and i clearly like the more electronic alternative a little more i would say yeah especially lately for whatever reason all right number seven amd essentially confirms five nanometers n4 in an advanced node quote unquote rdna3 gpu will launch by 2021 at the latest and this is of course i'm throwing this big news in right after the negative intel news <clears throat> and again uh one of my favorite videos i made was analyzing the wafer agreement between tsmc and amd where i came to the conclusion guys i'm pretty sure zen 4 and 5 nanometer gpus are just coming out next year from amd based on their wafer agreement they're going to be churning out a lot of something on five nanometer and so i can't say this is all that surprising to me but i mean let me quote from their earnings call from notebook check along with quarter two earnings amd also presented an updated set of slides with roadmaps for the next couple of years the first up is the data center cpu roadmap slide that shows a five nanometer zen 4 genoa launching by the end of 2021 and again so we don't know if the consumer ones will come out then either guys but again a lot of people i talk to seem to know a lot about zen 4 so i wouldn't rule out that we'll get Zen 4 design complete early next year. <laughs> um, as for the upcoming GPU architectures, the new slides show that both CDNA 2 and RDNA 3 are to be released next year on an advanced node. Not exactly sure what. Doesn't mention 5 nanometer. I mean, they could be considering 6 nanometer. I mean, yeah, that was the immediate thing I thought of, that maybe this will be on 6 nanometer instead of 5. That is what I allege, by the way, in my video, uh, mm. AMD's 2021 roar, war on Intel with 5 nanometer or whatever I called it. I think it was AMD's 2021 5 nanometer war on Intel. And I basically said, I'm almost 100% sure CDNA is 5 nanometer. Yeah. And maybe CDNA it, 2, I should say. It, maybe it will be put on 5 nanometer. Maybe it will be put on 6. Yeah. But either way, they can call those both advanced notes. Yeah. Or 3, maybe. I mean, or th- for, by the rate yeah. TSMC is <laughs> going, I think they're ramping. The, they should be doing ra- some test productions pretty soon anyways. I mean, I think 5 nanometers already to like 80% yields right now. The rate TSMC is going, they'll be on a negative one nanometers by 2024. <laughs> and then I will admit Moore's Law isn't dead. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add to this story, though? I mean, it's just basically us talking about how AMD's killing it. Yeah. You don't have anything else to add? No, you actually cut out there a little bit. So I, I think I missed the last like five seconds of what you oh, said. Oh, so you just saw my mouth moving and, <laughs> and you went, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think I had anything to really really rebut so i was like yeah we can just move on but my intuition has grinded the conversation to a halt <laughs> all right well maybe edit this out gerard or don't just fuck it just leave it in tspcfs writes in what platform do you think will be the best standard for validating pcie 5.0 devices well i know intel's moving forward with 5.0 as quickly as possible with golden cove products and sapphire rapids and that's end of next year so, and when I say, I, I'm not saying Sapphire Rapids is necessarily Golden Code, but it could be. I'm saying Sapphire Rapids will be PCIe 5.0, and the Alder Lake should be as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the best device for it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think Zen 4, Alder Lake, and uh, Sapphire Rapids are all coming out around the same time. So, 
I'm not sure how else to answer that. I think the best device for validating 5.0 devices will be the one that's available. Kind of like how Intel has to use AMD devices to test some things right now with their (laughs) Optane drives, right? Yeah, and what's available or, I don't know, maybe if they all come out at around the same time, could it be best highest stability or something? I don't know. I don't know what goes into valid. Yeah, and, and, who, and, and you know, people will be tempted to say Intel's will be worse, but it's like, I don't know, right? Yeah. We'll see. All right, uh, story number eight. So Epic Games joins G, uh, GOG in the goal to deliver universal ownership of digital goods. Now, this is kind of a random one to throw in here, but I thought it was a really weird story. So let me read this here. Quoting from Tech Power Up. Good old games called GOG shortly, has decided to invite Epic Games and make a universal launcher for all storefronts. The GOG Galaxy 2.0 is a new storefront that aims to give gamers the ability to install and launch any PC game you own, no matter the platform. With Epic Games joining the platform, it is a matter of time before others join. That's kind of an assumption on Tech Power Up's part. Uh, Some are still resistant, however. Okay, well then what is it, Tech Power Up? Are they... (laughs) Maybe I should have used someone else for this write-up. Steam and Origin are still not okay with the idea. Well, yeah, they have their own storefront. What's what's going on, Tech Power Up? Maybe I should have read this more closely. It is interesting to see the development of this, and in the meantime, you can check out GOG Galaxy 2.0 here. Yeah, I don't know. That seems like they're paid to run a GOG ad. Doesn't that sound like that? It seems like uh, Epic is trying to go on with their... Like, we're we're the most market-friendly thing. It has no features. Yeah, so, but here's my thing, though. This is a really random article to throw in here, like GOG and Epic working together. But I'm sorry, Epic is like the most anti-consumer storefront I've ever seen. They force you to run DRM. They have like zero features on their launcher, like nothing. Like basically but- nothing. And there's bugs constantly. They have bugs that literally make them lose money all the time where they accidentally (laughs) announce things with it. Like it's a broken store launcher. And then GOG is famous for letting you download and own zero DRM versions of games. So them partnering, I'm like, well, okay, is Epic going to let you download and keep your games forever? Or are they, like, what is is this? Is GOG worried they're about to fold so they needed to make a big deal partnership? So. And Epic was the easiest one to make a partnership with because Epic is the most criticized, uh, <laughs> the most criticized uh, storefront because uh, Steam is universally seen as the most as the best one, I think, or mostly seen as the best one. And Origin works well. Uplay now works pretty well as well. Until I mean, they randomly don't work. I just swear every now yeah. and then there's a Uplay update where it just doesn't frickin work. Yeah, it's just I don't know. This seems like maybe it was just a deal the Epic Game Store made with GOG because they thought both thought it would be a positive press release they could have. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know. Did, like, did you have any time to dig on this, Dan, and go, what the heck is going on? No, I mean, as far as I can, looking at it, it seems like GOG, they're just trying to unify all of the platforms into one where like, you actually have unified accounts, I think. Which, I mean, that's an interesting idea if they could actually get it to work. Wasn't that, there was that other thing AMD bundled with their graphics cards at the same time Mantle came out, remember? And it tried to unify all those accounts together too. Yeah. Started with like a fire or something. I forgot what it was and that company went out of business. Yeah, so you're right. It almost seems like they're trying to stop themselves from going down that same 
routers that one company, AMD, like forced you to freaking install with <laughs> AMD drivers for a while. There will be people who know what I'm talking about. will probably say in the comments. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I just find this weird because it's like Epic is literally the opposite of GOG and they're acting like they're because uh, and yeah. again, and there will be some people that go, ah, Epic's good. Guys, I don't care. I don't care. I don't want to run DRM. I don't want a broken game storefront. Uh, that's what I care about. It's like if the publishers can get a bigger cut out of it, it's like cool. But like, I mean, we should be caring about what's best for the consumer. What's best for the consumer is the best, easiest to use, least amount of DRM storefront. Not that the publishers tweet every now and then. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, the stuff with the Epic Game Store is weird. And I feel like most people see through it. Like I was just looking through the comments on the article and everybody was confused about the. Okay. So we're not the only ones confused because these guys like have clearly different objectives and they're working together. I think I agree. I think GOG has to be going through some problems. Yeah. I mean, that's my assumption based on everything I can read about what GOG is. All right. Well, that's all the stories, a shorter list of stories, uh, specifically, I mean, uh, just because I don't feel like covering the same crap I've covered a million times, and also because I insisted on covering the consoles heavily in the die shrink and loose ends <laughs> so that we could have a broken silicon mostly about stuff people are probably used to us talking about. Um, and also because I'm sure there's going to be some pretty massive console broken silicons coming by around the end yeah. of this month, guys. Um, which I guess I will say that too, just because it's popped into my head. Like people talking about the. Um, state of play from Sony where they're like, ah, they said they're not announcing new exclusives in it. And I'm like, yeah, guys, um, they also said they're not announcing price. This doesn't invalidate any of my leaks. Like they're not going to show off. I'm sorry. Like, I think it's common sense. Like when, what the, the, whenever they reveal the price, I bet they want to reveal another exclusive. I mean, yeah. And hopefully maybe, well, I don't know. The states of plays are only like 20 minutes long usually, right? This one's going to be a longer one. I think mostly about third parties. So like, it's like, yeah, they're doing a state of play beginning of August. What I think is obvious is Sony's just going to (laughs) wait. Yeah. God damn it. Like they're going to wait till like the end of August because they just refuse. I think I I honestly do think they refuse to announce the price first and them announcing they're not going to announce the price at this state of play. They're just literally saying to Microsoft, nope. Like, we're not going to. We'll wait till November, dude. Like, and, and we so... we are left in the middle to be annoyed by it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, and, and I I said this in the Discord to some people. Like, I, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if in, Sony literally has a second state of play almost done and that they just have to put the price in at the end of it and hit export and upload <laughs> the video. Like, that's what I honestly think is going on with that. But I, yeah, I'm sure we'll be covering that heavily eventually. Um, but the next guest, too, is... I'm not going to say who it is because, you know, I don't confirm guests until literally it's locked in and I know it's coming out, but it, it should yeah. be someone who can talk in depth about the fabrication between these companies, like fabrication nodes between these companies and what's going on with um, going fabulous. So I'm really excited about that. But uh, should we do the re- the remaining? We have a few more reader mails, Dan. Should we round this out? Let's do it. All right. Jory writes in and he says, is it possible the consoles will have different performance in specific tasks, such as rendering specific geometries, handling large quantities of objects, better physics, uh, simulations, and so on compared to one another? And I think the short answer is just a big yes, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's pretty uh, often assumed that like the, I mean, the Xbox Series X 
I think most people seem to think it's going to have better ray tracing than the PS5. Or be able to do higher levels of it in some games. I think that there's yeah, some but... evidence that Sony's has some customizations where in exclusives, ray tracing may be impressive, but that at least in third-party games, the Xbox may have a ray tracing advantage, I think. And then Not like 100% PS- sure, though. And then the PS5 will probably have a, a better ability to have a large... Polygon counts screen and high polygon counts. Yeah. Yeah. No load times, higher polygon counts, most likely. And the ability, yeah, open world advantage. Whereas Microsoft can probably do more linear games, probably easier. Yeah. Although if they can, they should start showing Showing it (laughs) in some trailers that don't look last gen. Um, Doomberry writes in so there's been a lot of rumors about MCM GPUs in the near future. Can you go over the possibility, advantages, and disadvantages of such a design? Uh, are those any different than what we saw with Zen 2? I mean, yeah, it's latency. It's latency and just how, and I can't speak about this elegantly because I'm not a computer engineer, right? But like how you have to make so sure the driver level, it's seen as one graphics card so that yeah. devs don't get screwed up by this, which is. From what I've told, not really a problem with multi-die CPUs because we've been having, think about it, multi-socket desktops forever. So like things can already inherently take advantage. I mean, they needed extra programming to work well with Zen, but they can do that. It's there. Like you're used to just looking at cores and threads. Whereas with graphics cards, they see one graphics card and throw it at it. And so uh, getting that driver to really just see an MCM design as one GPU it's hard. You have a real powerful like controller, uh, how I would put it inside the GPU to do that. But I mean, the advantage, it could be crazy powerful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Epic's a 1000 millimeter squared die, technically. Yeah. And the other advantage is way higher yields, like what you see with uh, Zen. And yeah, the potential to get make way bigger uh, GPUs than we could before, assuming that the latency disadvantage doesn't overpower that. This YY writes in and says, should I buy Death Stranding on PC or play it with a PS4 CD on PS5? Well, I don't know. Do you already have the Blu-ray? I mean, I'd say maybe <laughs> just play it, but if you don't have it yet, I mean, what's the cost difference? I mean, you'd probably say just get it on PC if you have a strong I, I PC, say, right? I would say PC, yeah. If you yeah, I mean, I'd either. say buy it on PC. There would have to be a specific reason you get it on PS4 Right now that yeah. it's out on PC and it seems to be incredibly easy to run at 4K. Yeah. Like we've get talked it, about that it. in depth. Get it, get it for PC. I'd say get it for PC, yeah. Um, and we still don't know because of Sony's <laughs> blunderingly confusing wor- uh, uh, wording how well every game will be running on PS5 at launch. I mean, I, I think we can all assume it'll be more stable frame rates, and probably some of them will have higher resolutions at launch, but until they confirm it like Xbox has, it's like, eh, just get it on PC now. Yeah. Get it on PC now if you have the time to play it. Lisa Sue Throat Ripper writes in and says, I've been thinking lately about what I would want to see in AM5. Here is my unrealistic wish list. Two 16X PCI 4.0 slots, 32 direct GPU lanes, in other words, Four times PCIe 4.0 slot, two times dedicated 4.0 NVMe slots, so eight PCIe lanes for NVMe directly, 44 PCIe lanes, so you're like almost doubling the PCIe lanes that's in AM4. Okay, quad-channel DDR5, 
Okay. And and Dan's shaking his head like, totally going to happen. Extra large socket for mega APUs. Dude, you're just describing a new Threadripper platform. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think this is going to happen. He says BIOS (laughs) that's usable without the CPU installed and a BIOS that's not a piece of shit at launch. (laughs) I mean, this is a nice wish list, but I think you're basically just describing Threadripper 5000 or something. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it sounds like. And this sounds like it would With be... With more uh, lanes, very, I guess, though, less lanes. <laughs> it does sound like it would be very expensive, especially the whole quad-channel DDR5 thing. I don't know. I don't know when mainstream platforms... I, I honestly are gonna... don't think it's necessary either. Like, if you look at DDR5, it's getting up to GDR5 bandwidth with, of course, much lower latency, uh, probably. And so with that in mind, I mean, it's going to double the bandwidth of DDR4. DDR4 can support 16 cores. AM4, I mean, um, Zen 4 is probably going to go up to like 24 or 32 cores. I think dual channel DDR5 is fine, guys. I would like more PCIe lanes, though, especially as more and more we stop using SATA SSDs for anything but storage. I, I do agree more PCIe lanes. But I want PCIe 5.0 at that point, too. Um, I mean, that's true. I mean, I so, so my wish list, my realistic one would be dual channel DDR5, 32 lanes of PCIe 5.0 instead of 24 or 4.0. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, that seems realistic to me. Yeah, and, and honestly, cheaper to build than your quad than channel. Your massive. <laughs> your, your weird hybrid of a thread ripper in an AM4. <laughs> yeah. all right carbon cry writes in not really a question but a fun fact for dan i found out that when fpgas are programmed because the compilers don't give much feedback and it takes 12 hours to compile an fpga app they do several compiles of the same source code at once just with different seeds seed determines a lot of the floor plan that the program will impose on the fpga and even though the source code is identical, different seeds will have different top clock speeds. Hmm. So they basically use evolution and random mutation to optimize FPGAs. Dan, isn't that cool? That is cool. That's a, that's a fun design process of just doing a iterative design so you don't actually have to think or figure out why something works. Just, eh, fuck it. One of these will work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything else to add to Carbon Cries? Isn't that cool, Dan, question? No, I feel like Carbon Cry likes doing this, though. So thank you, Carbon Cry. Yes. I will admit that I'm pretty tired at the end of this recording and that uh, that was a bit technical for how tired I'm getting. (laughs) Same here, but I think I got it. Yeah. Well, that's it, Dan. We covered it all. I mean, we we covered that. I have another interesting guest lined up. Um, Several, actually, coming after this. A reminder that, as usual, that this is fan-supported, that you get this podcast early and ad-free, the ability to submit reader mails, the ability to listen to Die Shrink, a Patreon-only podcast. Fiverr states early and ad-free. Remember to subscribe to that. And uh, also, every now and then, a Hits and Gems or other little piece of content only for patrons and access to the Discord. So there's quite a bit you get for supporting us if you can. You notice there's barely any in-video VPN ads. Uh, Oh, wait, there's zero, because I try to make this fan-supported. Um, so yeah, look for that. And, and, you know, remember to subscribe to this podcast feed on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. We got in the top 50 technology podcasts last week, Dan. If we can just get everyone who listens on YouTube to subscribe, 
We could legitimately become the number one technology podcast out of nowhere. And then they would all have to bow to the will of Moore's Law is dead. But we'd get a bunch of new people, yeah. joking aside. I guarantee they go, who the heck is this? And start listening. Well, and if it jumped to number one, I think that means that according to the Apple store, they the rest of the tech podcasts just have to delete their stuff, right? Well, the Has- hardware ones. Hashtag delete your account. Yes, exactly. That's right. They have to send us a ARM Apple architecture-powered laptop for free if we get there. And then, you know, we can do all types of stuff with that, Dan. Yeah. You know, it's not so, going to run Windows anymore, so I can't even run Windows on a MacBook anymore. Yeah, that's true. I don't really consider it. They just confirmed that reason. recently, by the way. That's not a news story. Yeah, I know. But... I mean, it's common sense, would, I guess. That would mean if I ever bought an Apple product, I would need to use their shitty OS. That means I probably will never buy another Apple product. <laughs> Well, guys, that's going to do it. That's about all we got. Dan's dog is definitely trying to get his attention right now, rolling around like an idiot back there. Um, I don't know, Dan. Any last words? Anything to say to the adoring fans? Or should I say the fans, half of which seem to hate us sometimes? Uh, Thank you for listening, even if you hate us. What a nice note to end on. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon Die Shrink and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yunt, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim Bollocks, Joshua Albin, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Krasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, 
Brad Bedlin, Phil S. Thyrister, the Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Heather Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Olathros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Soti, Hector Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Rubber Duck, Street of Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Job, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, So Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Carrie Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Garrick Scholl, Alenia, Joshua Stavnis, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carasteel, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Mac, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Macdo226, Neil X01, Slicky, Warrior JR89, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick JS, and Justin Staples. And thank you to Sahara for the music. 